The Way Out Podcast, episode 294. What's your name, brother? Tom Jackson. Tom, pleasure to have you here, sir. And, Likewise. Uh, yes. What was your substance of choice or DOC? Pretty much anything except opioids. I was definitely more of an up person than a down person. Same. Um, <laughs> I, I started drinking and I ended drinking and did just about anything else in between. Um, but I stopped drinking drugs and smoking all on the same day because nobody told me it wasn't a good idea. And <laughs> it, it worked out great. And actually now the, and actually now the evidence shows that it is a good idea. So <laughs> there you go. I, I honestly have thought that numerous times over these last six almost years uh, that I should have just quit smoking cigarettes when I quit everything else. But I can proudly say that I think I'm like 39 days smoke-free today. Yay. In this last week, I had guys working with me. One of them smoking uh, Newport 100s, which I love. And one of them's chewing Grizzly Wintergreen, which I love. And I was like, I didn't ask for a dip and I didn't steal a cigarette. I was like, hell yeah, I'm proud. Yay, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, man. So, <laughs> never so, too late no right and i'm relatively young i believe i sure feel like a teenager still so well uh next question what is your recovery date may 13th 1991 Ooh, 91 i was 11 yeah. wow i liked you until that <laughs> You're coming up on 30 years next month. 31. Oh, 31. Okay. Wow, dude. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Thanks for uh, showing me that I can do that because, wow, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. <laughs> if, if, if I could do it, you know, I hate to say it really, if I can do it, anybody can. Damn, damn right. <laughs> uh, considering, considering where I started and some of the stuff I've gone through, uh, yes. you know. And I can, uh, we're going to hear all about that today. Um, uh -oh. Next question. How do you serve the recovery community? Well, recently it's been a lot of advocacy work, um, really trying to make a dent in, in the overdose, on, you know, in the overdose crisis, uh, that every week somebody I know knows somebody who, who's dying. Mm. Uh, last week it was one, the week before it was two, the week before that it was three. Um, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. Um, you know, the, the weird thing is that I haven't experienced it in a long time that much, you know, sort of personally first degree of separation because I don't know anybody that uses anymore. Right. So, you know, it's sort of weird where, you know, almost everybody I know in, in rap is losing people right, left, center and sideways. Yeah. Uh, and and I just don't know people. I just don't know people that are that are using anymore. It's, it's really sort of weird. It is. But, you know, you've been through you've been down that road in the past and you know it's it's not like you're exempt from it it'll happen again because when you're even if, even if it's more on the advocacy side and you're not so much like uh super active like in in any particular program you know working with newcomers anymore or whatever but it's like you're still gonna 
find yourself in those spaces at some point with some newer people or with some up and coming advocates that have a, you know, recurrence of use and then that just doesn't end well, you know? Yeah. So we see it, you know, even with advocates and stuff too. So true. I mean, thank your lucky stars, brother, that you're not having that uh, immediate and close encounter with it lately because they're probably you know days are numbered on that <laughs> it'll happen right it'll yeah. happen we can't be um, in this arena without being you know close to it so and then and then the other part of it aside from you know aside from that is that you know i host my home group's monday night meeting on zoom uh, i do a smart recovery group at work uh, I'm a registered peer specialist at a state psychiatric hospital during the day, and so see anywhere between you know 15 and 20 people a week, one on one to try and share recovery with, um, and that's a that's a big part of, of giving it away too. Um, I also teach new peers. I have a peer certification training class starting on Tuesday. Awesome. Um, that I'm going to be doing for a month. I got a really, I recruited a really nice class too. We did a tech check yesterday, and I just really like the people that that I've got in the course. So awesome. We're, we're going to learn a lot from each other. They've got. I pick some people who have experiences that I have no no experience with at all, oh. um, and so I can learn from them uh, every bit as much as uh, as they can learn stuff from me. Absolutely. And that's what it's all about, you know, like it, it's, it's like that old adage that the most newcomers, the most important person or whatever, where it's like, no matter where you fall on the spectrum or whether you got not a day or, you know, 31 years, you know, like that your, your experience and your story has like some really powerful value and it can <laughs> benefit others. You know, it's interesting because Sometimes I hear people say, oh, you know, newcomers should just sort of sit there and listen and stuff. But every now and then I hear somebody who's been in recovery for six days say some of the most amazing stuff I've ever heard. Yeah. And, you know, who knows where it came from? You know, who knows what they were channeling? Uh, but, you know, that old saying out of the mouths of babes, you never know. You never know what you're going to hear. Amen. Uh, <laughs> it was like so my old sponsor said you put your he was like if you're judging people in the rooms he's like you put your head down and don't look and just listen for the whole meeting because otherwise you're just missing it right like you're gonna yeah. miss a message yeah no, it doesn't matter you know, where worked, it comes from <laughs> i've worked with clients i've worked in community mental health for and substance use for 20 years and worked with you know Dozens and dozens of clients. Oh, I don't like this meeting. I don't like what people say. And I say, just walk away with one thought. If you leave that meeting with one thing you've either never heard before or you forgot, it's a success. Right. And the other the other 59 minutes and 30 seconds don't matter. Get out your sifter. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Keep that's what great. you like, toss the rest. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's a great segue into our last introduction question. Um, what does recovery mean to you? Well, the, the simple sentence I use is it means being the best Tom I can be today. Mm. Um, 
and that changes a lot from day to day. Some days it ain't so great. Uh, you know, some days, some days getting up and going to work is is you know is pretty much it. Some days even that's a struggle. Um, and other days everything clicks. You know, from the from the time from the time the coffee's done until. You know, I settle in for for the night. It's just like one thing after another. Kind of everything clicks. So it's just showing up each day and accepting what the day has to offer, and more good's gonna keep coming. And rolling and rolling with you know and rolling with too because you know like the bumper sticker says happens, uh, <laughs> and uh, and hopefully just not too much on any given day. Absolutely, man. Welcome, Way Out faithful and first-timers, to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, our prodigious co-host with the most has an outstanding discussion with person in long-term recovery, peer recovery specialist, mental health professional, and recovery advocate, Tom Jackson. Tom is a longtime and self-proclaimed policy nerd who has been doing recovery advocacy work on the national legislative level since the days of the HIV-AIDS epidemic of the 1980s. Tom shares his decades-long journey to and through recovery to this point with us, along with his hard-earned wisdom and experience, 
all of which is yours to relish in the interview that's about to unfold before your very ears. So listen up. Hey, what's up, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast Land? This is your trusty co-host, Jason. Hi. I got with me Tom Jackson this week. What's up, Tom? Well, I'm at a phenomenal recovery conference in Washington, D.C. called National Council for Metal on Metal Wellbeing. It's their annual conference for the first time in two years due to COVID, of course. Right. Uh, and learning interesting stuff. And I just got here this afternoon. I registered and walking out of registration, I ran into somebody from Mobilize. So, (laughs) you know, talk about a small world. Absolutely, man. And I love it because it's mental health. We're everywhere. Mental health is a big piece of recovery, you know, and there's so many different types of recovery. And that's definitely a prevalent one that needs all of our advocacy and attention as well. So, well, yeah. that's a that the whole co-occurring space is is my, you know, is my home both both work-wise and and personally, um, certainly my own my own recovery, um, and 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 I and I get frustrated because uh, from you know government spaces where there's the substance use people still want to get them to stop calling it substance abuse, but that's going to take forever. Right. Um, and mental health folks are separate silos, separate grants, separate money, and each one stigmatizes the other. Mm. Um, and even in the community programs, uh, oh, we don't want, we don't want drug addicts around in this. They'll make us look bad or we don't want crazy people. Um, you know, <laughs> even though uh, they're inextricably connected in every way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So excuse my stigmatizing language. Oh, you're good, man. It's like with, because I think we get where your heart's at with what you intend to what you said. It's like, it's frustrating because there's barriers and walls in there that shouldn't be in there. Like, you know, we want inclusivity. We want an open and uh, welcoming space for all, not this, you know, you got to be at the back of the bus and you got to be in the front of the bus. And yeah, you guys sit on the left side, you guys sit on the right side. No, man, you know, we need to mix and all, all help each other rise to the top, you know, and it's crazy to me. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, we're going to do a Facebook, a second Facebook live event with the rap inclusivity caucus, probably not this month, probably not till May. Um, on finding on finding uh, mental well being in recovery spaces, really trying to combine those those two things because you know if anybody can be flexible and innovative uh, and sort of up with the times, it's it's rap. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, and I know there's people out there doing that good work right now. It's just a matter of, you know, time and it's going to, yeah, it'll, it'll always be ongoing. I think the, the work that people are putting in to try to kind of bridge those gaps and create additional resources that meet the needs that aren't being met. Um, I know there's a lot of good work happening out there that's making strides with it, but yeah, long way to go. It's interesting in Virginia, and I'm, you know, a degree and a half of two degrees of separation removed from this. But of all people uh, in Virginia, the the agency that runs Medicaid 
is working really hard on focusing on on merging those two spaces um, and and making payment streams easier and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, not exactly the people you would think who'd be at the top of the list in terms of innovators, but uh, but somehow they got the message uh, and they're doing a pretty good job. It's awesome. Good. Well, I'll be praying for them and the work they're doing because yeah, yeah, anything that helps the cause and it's it's awesome to see and learn about all this stuff going on. I'm I'm still a baby in that aspect, but I'm learning. And, and, you know, get, you know, go, go to mobilize last September and get to rub some elbows with some people that are really uh, making strides and, you know, they got loud voices in this. So I'm like, you're awesome. <laughs> All you guys are awesome. <laughs> well, so, you are, Tom, thank you, sir. When we start out, we usually like to hear a little bit about, you know, some family origin stuff. So why don't you tell us about, you know, growing up and what it was like and we'll just go from there well i had one of those sort of wonderful childhoods i i grew up an only child in new york in the late 50s and early 60s where it was safe to take the subway home in third grade wow um <laughs> <to> imagine. Yep. <laughs> yep. you know and on saturdays i went to yankees games with with my dad and and stuff like that um but i i never fit in even right from the start um i had really bad attention stuff um i literally am a kindergarten and nursery school dropout they both kicked me out <laughs> not very far into the school year because they didn't know what to do with me um <clears throat> and a friend of my mother's always referred to me as the spoiled brat uh, and I used to say I'm spoiled, but not a brat. Uh, and except I think I probably got that backwards. Um, or maybe both. She was probably right after all. Uh, then we moved to the, to the, uh, to the beach about two hours from New York, really in what then was, uh, and still is a little bit, um, sort of deep red America. And I was this geeky kid from New York that didn't fit in. Uh, quite a lot of bullying for a couple of years. Um, also at that point, starting to, uh, examine my, my sexual identity, that kind of stuff, bullied about that too. Um, and then a couple of years later, by the time I got to my sophomore year of high school and had, was still being, was still being bullied a fair amount, uh, discovered Yukon Jack, marijuana, and psilocybin all in the same weekend. <laughs> nice. And the trifecta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and my life changed all of a sudden. I wasn't being bullied anymore. I was one of the cool kids. Um, and you know, and I and and I I joke about it a little bit, but it really is true. Uh, the drugs saved my life. Um, I had been so depressed on and off for the couple of years before that, that I had pretty, pretty frequently thought about doing something to just check out. Right. Um, of course the problem was after a year or two, the downsides started getting bigger than the upsides. Yeah. And I still kept doing them for another 18 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a slow learner. Same. Uh, <laughs> I can relate, man. Um, 
And so, I mean, that, that actually sort of is a, an interesting, you know, sort of different part of my story. Um, I was also one of those drinkers who did not get drunk every time I picked up a drink. Uh, I could literally get home from work. I could pour myself a drink. I could have a half of one and go, yeah, I don't feel like this tonight and not finish it. Um, on the other hand, especially when I had something really important to do early in the morning, you know, <laughs> I'd close a bar at two o'clock. Right. So I always, I used to joke that, you know, I should have had a warning label on my head that said, you know, unpredictable results may occur, yeah. uh, whenever, whenever I was consuming substances. Uh, and then I, I got really deep into the white powders in the, in the early, early to early mid eighties. I was living in San Francisco. It was everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that started to bring me, you know, to my knees, but it didn't finish it off. I still kept going for another oh, four or five years before, before I finally said, uh, on the surface, my life looked great. I had a great job. I had a great place to live, nice car, lots of friends. And on the inside, I was just completely empty. Wow. Uh, there was that, that tank was empty. And, and when that, you're talking about a time when, it, you know, cocaine was booming and it was being like wasn't it it was basically like a socially acceptable thing like everybody was doing it so even in like a really good work environment and you're 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 like fucking at the top of your game it's just normal right like people are using it at meetings or you know after meetings whatever after party. i worked for i i worked for a business where a client of the business made deliveries every Friday afternoon at about three o'clock. Um, and that was the end of the work week. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> that, that was I mean, like that clock I, out time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was, yeah, it was like three o'clock. And I mean, we'd, we'd stay there. We'd stay there a lot longer. <laughs> oh, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, work definitely stopped. Uh, work absolutely stopped by then. And, uh, you know, and that was like, I mean, it, it was San Francisco. It was the, you know, early to mid 80s. Of course, of course, that's what you did. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Different time, folks. A different time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and actually, so. that's, that's kind of interesting because that was when my earliest advocacy started because not very long after that, people started dying. And, and the HIV AIDS epidemic was my, my first personal experience in losing people. Mm. Uh, and and of course uh the preventable overdose crisis is is the second one um you know both were preventable and both got out of control due to significantly government inaction stigma people not caring all that kind of stuff so as i've been doing a leadership course that uh, that wrap uh that rap subsidized in the last 10 weeks uh, and practicing telling my story from a number of different number of different aspects, you know, it kept coming, it kept coming back to that and coming back to that. You know, I just get tired of people dying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, none of us like that. I think Yeah, it's like, yeah, 
Why? And then I don't know if you ever had survivor's guilt, but I used to really struggle with survivor's guilt. Like what? Yeah. I was worse than some of these people. Why are they dying? And yeah, here? right. Oh, absolutely. Especially, especially with HIV AIDS, because just about everybody I know from the, from the early to mid eighties is gone and has been, and it's been gone since, you know, since then it was a, it was a instant death sentence almost. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, of course that's changed in the last 20, 25 years where now it's a manageable chronic condition, much like, much like, you know, drug use and recovery is a manageable chronic condition. If we, uh, you know, if we do what, uh, if we do what works, we can, we can stay well. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It just goes to show why we need to keep learning and growing. Cause it's like, none of it ever started there right where it was manageable we had to learn how <laughs> we had to figure it out <laughs> yeah you know and it was like i mean i did a great job managing my my drug and alcohol use for for a while uh and then it got out of control and mm. uh you know a job loss and relationships frayed and financial disaster and so on yeah. um and it still took another three years after all of that happened for me to finally stop. So even that didn't stop me. No, uh, no consequences great me. enough, right? <laughs> yeah, not really. I mm. mean, not really. It was, but it really was that sort of just feeling totally empty. Um, it was a weekend where everybody I knew was out of town, had other commitments and stuff. Uh, I had been in the hospital the week before um with some suspected cardiac stuff um and i got out on a friday and was had nothing to do for the weekend and and i've never felt as empty before or or since in my life um and the only person i spent i think it was sunday night with was an old friend who drank even more than i did mm. and you know and i drank a bottle and a half of rock gut red wine and nothing happened and I woke up Monday morning and said, I can't do this and called the treatment center and, and got a bed three weeks out and just sort of white knuckled it between that Monday and three weeks down the road yeah. um, and figured I was going to go to work. And if I made everybody miserable, I made everybody miserable, but damn it, I wasn't going to drink and I wasn't going to smoke. There you go. <laughs> uh, and, and I didn't, and I yeah. didn't. And then I was, incredibly fortunate to have just really really good 28 days of of treatment that health insurance paid for back then uh i i found i actually found some paperwork from it while i was cleaning out a box a couple of months ago uh and 28 days at a very well-known rehab cost me 250 dollars. Wow. insurance paid the rest nice damn yeah it would be That's nice awesome. to get back to those days. Um, when you said paperwork at first, I was thinking you meant like, you know, the assignments and stuff like that. Oh, that too. That, and that I saved that. Oh, I, yeah. that I know where it is. I have my, I have my journal. Uh, I have my journal and all that kind of stuff from it. I go back and look at it every now and then. Gotta. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I try to go there and think about it, 
I mean, it, it comes pretty full front and center for me. I mean, I, I don't have any problem reliving that, but it is a, it just hits different. I think when you're actually looking at the physical stuff and, you know, you can just see in the way your handwriting is and everything, like how, uh, raw you were or whatever. That's and how, you know, something would piss me off and I would just, I would be so angry. I just couldn't stand it because I'd always, I'd always, you know, bathe that anger in something. Yeah. Uh, I was not, I was a, I was a funny drunk. I wasn't a, I wasn't an angry drunk. Mm. Uh, and so it was a way of, for me, it was a way of squashing my anger, yeah. you know, unlike a lot of us where it's a way of letting it out. Um, and so all of a sudden I was getting angry about shit. Um, and it was like, Oh, now what do I do? I think I have to feel this. Um, and fortunately I learned a whole bunch of skills to, to to help do that and uh you know it really was it was it was it was recovery boot camp um and i used stuff every day that i learned then um and and i've stayed in touch with a couple of people from from there too um interestingly enough um uh one of whom's a friend who works there um and uh, a couple of other people that have, you know, sort of peeled off along the way for, for, for whatever reasons. But I mean, but that was a long time ago too. Yeah. Well, I think it's, way it's true. Ago. It's like when they tell you like nine out of 10 of you aren't going to, you know, be able to sustain the recovery. And I used to get pissed off, but luckily I guess for me, that last time it was like, well, I'll show you or something, you know, it was a little bit extra motivation, but you know, I don't know, you know, it's like, I used to think like, that's messed up. Why would you tell people that? <laughs> but it's kind of like, as you continue in this journey, even when you do finally sustain your sobriety, it's like, okay, you know, you're seeing that unfold before your eyes. Like, and it does a lot of people just keep going back or you know and then they some of them don't make it back from that and it's like yeah every now and then though people will say how do you do it and i tell people i did it out of spite i did it because <laughs> yes. i did it because nobody thought i could do it you know and and for the first time in my life i think i wanted to prove people wrong yeah. uh you know and so uh and so i stuck to it um you know and uh, I mean, my, my recovery has changed, you know, lots of times over those years in terms of, you know, what I do, what programs I've gone to, uh, and so on. It's become far more varied than it was back when I started, where there were basically 12-step programs and therapy, and that was it. Right. There really wasn't anything else. Uh, now I do a fair amount of smart recovery uh, I kind of dabble in um, in recovery dharma a little bit, uh, which I find soothing. The once every two or three months I go, um, and I do some mind and body stuff. I'm sort of a you know very 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 amateur qigong person. I find very very soothing and. Yeah. Uh, and relaxing and so on. Um, and not at all intricate, like, you know, Tai Chi and yoga are, because I'm still a klutz. Uh, <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> and so uh, 
it's hard to fall over. Uh, it's hard to fall over doing doing qigong. Um, I should and, try that then, because <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying yoga, dude, lately. Uh, you know, bottom mat, and I got yeah. that eye fit or whatever. So I've been, I got access to all them videos, and you can download the app on your TV. And it's really nice and easy, but. Boy, I don't understand the language. I find they say it's, you know, we're getting in touch with our bodies. And I'm over here, like, if anything, like getting in touch with my body is like really freaking me out because it feels so out of control. <laughs> like, I cannot control <laughs> exactly. it at all. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Uh, exactly. I enjoy it a little more when I can do it with someone else because then it's like, we can laugh at ourselves and make yes. each other feel better because I, I find it, it kind of get, it frustrates me. But then, I, you know, if I'm doing it by myself, so then I just I look at that and I go, OK, that means I should probably keep doing this because I shouldn't be getting frustrated. I, right. I can do it with I can do it with a friend, but I cannot go to a yoga class because I look around and, you know, people are, you know, sticking this in the air and sticking that in the air. And I just can't stop laughing sometimes. You know, I, I really just can't do it in public. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm way too immature for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, right. Totally. Right. Yes. Right. Where, I, where that's okay with a friend, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. But it works. I mean, like like everything else, you know, like a whole bunch of other stuff, it works. And uh, um, and I kind of go, you know, I, like I said, I go, I go back and forth with stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have one, I have a, I have a 12 step home group in Richmond that I pretty religiously go to every Monday on zoom. Um, and, and that's, that's, you know, that's that piece of, of my recovery. Uh, I can't say that with zoom, I always pay a hundred percent attention right? <laughs> while I'm, while I'm doing it. Uh, it's, uh, it's all too easy to get sidetracked and turn your camera off, uh, which, uh, which I struggle with sometimes. Um, and, but those, and, but the people there are people, you know, they're, they're friends now too. And that's a, that's a really important part of my, my recovering community. Uh, They used to be an hour away from, from where I live. Now they're an hour, a little over an hour and a half. So I don't get to see them as much. Right. Uh, but but Zoom Zoom helps. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely helps when you don't have to commute all that time because then you don't have to miss the meeting when normally you'd be like, well, I don't have time to get out there today, so you know. I would have to run out the door from work, get stuck in traffic, drive for an hour mm-hmm. and a half, go to the meeting, have some food afterwards, get home too late, and yeah. wake up the next morning exhausted. Whereas yeah. I can just go into my little office in my house and, and sit down and connect with people. Yeah. It's, um, it's cool too, because a lot of people are in different places, especially with all this COVID stuff. It's like, some of us are like, we're, we're out there and we have been pretty much the entire time, like just trying to continue to live our lives as normally as possible. Other people are still scared to do that. So it's mm-hmm. cool. I've seen a lot of meetings that adopted that kind of hybrid or they had to go full online maybe early on in the COVID thing and then turned into hybrid when they could go back because a lot of people weren't willing and they've just found that it's beneficial to some to stay that way. And I think it's a nice to have the option to be hybrid. Yeah. 
you know that's what my group that's what my group has done we went we went full zoom for quite a while um partly because the space that we met in was <laughs> the second floor of a bar actually uh, of a bar and restaurant and they that's closed awesome. and and they closed so we lost access to our space oh. um and so we had to go we had to go to zoom and then um last summer uh we started doing it the face-to-face part in in one of our members backyards mm-hmm. um and then still streamed it um and then went back to full zoom and then now have gone back to uh we've got a permanent space now uh and so we've got so we just keep doing it um uh in a hybrid you know yeah. a hybrid meeting and it works great it works great Mm-hmm. I'll drive. I'll drive over there occasionally if I have, uh, you know, if it's a Monday holiday or something like that. I'll I'll get in the car and go. Heck yeah! When it's early enough in the day and you're just chilling, it's like all yeah. right, cool. Yeah, man. So when you uh, you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, you were talking about uh, when you first. I want to hear more about this. When you you were saying something about when you first got involved with advocacy surrounding the. AIDS epidemic, HIV AIDS, um, and and it, obviously you mentioned a little bit about what where your passion came from, but like, how did that come about, and how did you get involved in advocacy work initially? Well, you know, it's funny the the part of looking back on my story. I came I came from a family of of advocates. Um, you know, this is part of my uh, you know personal narrative stuff. And again, we you know we did that in Vegas last year. Um, you know, my grandmother marched for women's rights and birth control in Hartford, Connecticut in the 19 teens. She couldn't vote till she was, she couldn't vote till she was 35. Um, my parents worked on civil rights in New York in the, in the forties and fifties. Uh, and I came of age, you know, protesting the Vietnam war among other things, because people who were not much older than me were, were dying. Um, and I did some civil rights work in San Francisco, working for a public interest law firm. Um, and then, and then people started dying and, and the government wasn't doing anything. Um, and actually more than that, they weren't, it's not that they were doing anything positive. They were, they were demonizing us. Um, and, and we had our first encounter with, with Tony Fauci when he was head of you know, National Institute uh, of Allergy and Infectious Diseases in the in the early AIDS days, um, and had to for a couple of years just beat him over the head with club after club after club, um, to really to really sort of move forward on expanding access to medications and stuff. Uh, you know, very similar to what what people have done with with Purdue Pharma. You know, it's uh, it's it's almost exactly the same thing um uh it literally is almost exactly the same thing um and what brought me into advocacy actually really was was ryan hampton's first book american fix where he literally toward the end of the book says the only thing that's gonna that's gonna start to solve um solve the overdose crisis is the same thing that started to change in the world of HIV AIDS, which is everybody who has any connection uh, to losing people or people suffering 
comes out and talks about it. Yeah. Uh, and it's that level of public advocacy that's going to change things. Uh, I think we've made, and that was 2018. I think we've made some progress since then. I think I think more people are uh, more people are talking about the need for solutions and so on. Um, I'm not sure on a you know sort of global level we've made we've made a lot of progress, but we've made progress in some small steps in lots of places. I think um, you know harm reduction. Harm reduction is being talked about now. Uh, which four years ago, nobody, nobody wanted to, you know, nobody who funded anything wanted to talk about harm reduction. Uh, now they're, you know, dribbling out little bits of money, uh, for it, but, uh, but it's on the table, which, which four years ago it wasn't. Um, so that's progress, you know, it's not enough, not enough. Um, but I mean, even in even in a couple of the rap petition things that we've done in Virginia, you know, I have I go to my email list and I email everybody on it, including people I haven't seen in 10 years uh, saying, you know, hey, this issue is important. Uh, I go to I email the professionals that uh, uh, that I work with, you know, doctor, therapist, all those kinds of people, which once upon a time I might have mentioned it to them. But I wouldn't have hit them up to sign a petition or sign a sign a letter to their to their representative and stuff. Right. Uh, and now I just you know beat the drum constantly. Well, I think um, there's something to be said about that too, though. You know, it's like it's easy for us as individuals to feel like you know what good would it do if I made a petition? Who's going to sign my petition? You know, what difference can I make? I'm just one person. Right. And that's not true at all. Honestly, I mean, not a lot of people are willing to even try it. And if you're willing to try uh, and, and you got a story to tell, right. You know, it's like, yeah, you'd be shocked. You know, how many people will respond and, and be willing to, you know, help. You know, and it doesn't take, and we found this out with two with two things we did in Virginia. It doesn't take very many signatures on on petitions and letters to get people to respond. You know, you get a couple of hundred people, um, you know, uh, sending letters to representatives, single state agency departments, and so on, and they start to notice because they figure for every. Every person who writes, there's, you know, 10, 50 or 100 people that aren't right. um, that care about the issue. Um, and and that's, again, that's what I've learned through the organizing work through RAP and, and yeah. now increasingly through the, the leadership training that, that we just finished of, you know, how you build the snowflake of, you know, five, you know, three people turn into five people, turn into 25 people, turn into 125 people. And right. so on, and and before you know it, you can get to hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of people, relatively relatively quickly and relatively easily. Again, like you like you said, if you tell your story in a compelling way, uh, and then you teach other people how to tell their story in a compelling and brief way. That's the other thing too. I did I've done some testifying uh, in legislative session this year. Not that pretty much anything we were advocating for succeeded, but we got some good practice testifying for stuff. And, you know, you can 30, 30 to 90 seconds, you can, you can tell a very compelling story if you practiced it 
and and if you if you pare it down and so on and, and people listen to that yeah because it's clear and it's concise and they don't lose their focus their attention span doesn't yeah. diminish <laughs> exactly and then the other thing and i had never i had never thought about this but it was something i learned from a budget hearing i went to you know they literally say uh you know if somebody else has already said something just refer to it don't say it again uh, you know, cause they would get five people on talking about the same thing. And so when I went to, when I went to, to speak, a couple of people had already said part of what I was going to say. And so I just said, well, you know, Jane Doe and John Smith just, you know, addressed this. So I just second what they said, yeah. uh, and then went on to use my time for something that nobody else was talking about. Right. Um, and we were treated kindly. I mean, that at least is something, uh, you know. Uh, it, uh, we had a change of administration and party in Richmond in, in January, and we were making a lot of progress, uh, on lots of recovery friendly stuff. And we've snapped back into law and order again. Um, and basically just back to the lock them up approach to, uh, to substance use. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough road for a couple of years. Yeah. It's it's funny how just the little change of who's sitting in that seat, it's like, yep. right, like you took so many steps backwards and now you got to kind of start yep. off fresh, right? And six, six out of a six out of 100 seats flipped and it changed everything. Wow. It's crazy. See, I'm not really uh, experienced in that department. I've I've checked out a couple events they have in minnesota uh recovery advocacy day on the hill i went to that one year and that was really cool actually because i felt like it was going to be really awkward uh for me but one of the things that i got from that one of the main you know you were saying earlier if you go to a meeting right and you just like take one if you can have one thing that you take away from that the one thing i took away from that was during the like the beginning part when they had a couple speakers and we were in the rotunda and it was like the press conference piece of it mm -hmm. before everybody went and broke off into their groups right. and started talking to their constituents and stuff but one of the guys said that this is our house and this is your house and this is our house so like he was saying like don't look at these grand halls and 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 feel like you know you're a fish out of water and like you don't belong or like anybody here is above you because this is your house and yeah and then when i went and i met with uh senator chris eaton uh, in minnesota she's a person in long-term recovery herself and man me and her shed tears talking about recovery and she was like i would have never thought that i would have a seat in the senate yeah she said 30 years ago i was a drunk and i couldn't take care of my kid and she we cried together and i i was blown away dude it was like shit. they were right you know like you really do have a place here you know like your voice has a place here yeah you know and i see people we've got we've got two cabinet secretaries now you know Hell yeah. Uh, in recovery, you know, that matters. That matters. It's big. You know, we've got a, uh, we've got a president whose son has had lots of trials and tribulations with substance use over the years. Um, and so, you know, everybody has somebody, you know, that's, that's the, that, that comes back to the, to the narrative part and the advocacy part 
of just, you know, reminding the world that, you know, a third rough estimate is, you know, a third of the country is touched one way or another by, by substance use and mental health stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a lot of people. Um, as I just, I've been watching the anonymous people, uh, a number of times recently, I've shown it at the hospital a few times to a bunch of groups of clients. Um, it's a phenomenal movie. And, you know, the, uh, we're, we're starting to turn the corner on that old saying of, you know, people in recovery don't vote. Um, or people who are using don't, who are still, who are still using substances don't vote. Um, and, and between, you know, inertia and, and anonymity and those kinds of things, you know, we're still struggling to make our voices heard. Um, but that's why we're both wearing t-shirts that say stand up for recovery. Yeah. Recovery. You're wearing, project. you're wearing a hoodie, but. Well, still the same. I have a t-shirt in here. <laughs> My hat says same it too. Lo- <laughs> notice that same logo. I have a coffee mug at home. Hell yeah, <laughs> dude! You know it's cool because there's a if you guys, you know, I've you've heard me say it before if you're a regular listener, but I pitched it a few times. I'm going to pitch it again right now. If you want to get involved with advocacy, I know you're hearing us talk about this stuff, and believe me, I'm I'm probably in the same boat you are. Haven't spent any time testifying in front of legislative sessions or anything like that myself but it's something i would be willing to do and if that's something you're willing to do and you want to get involved in your state go to recoveryvoices.com you can sign up just click the button that says join the movement you enter your just like some basic information what state you're from and they will get you connected to the state representatives or even to the nationwide guys that help set that up and maybe you could become kind of like this the main you know the first person in your state that started but uh it's a great way you can do grassroots level which is you know just boots on the ground maybe do some harm reduction stuff or some like public events or you can do legislative stuff like what tom's talking about and it's good yeah it's an amazing organization because everybody meets once a month regardless from the whole country we do these national trainings and they're just a one hour zoom call but you break off in small groups you do little exercises you learn really valuable tools and skills in there and most of all you're meeting people who are really do making some changes making some waves out there and uh fighting for some great causes uh really inspiring bunch of folks and uh down to earth as they get too really cool and you hit you know and you hit the the key word too which is it's grassroots based because what works in minnesota doesn't necessarily work in virginia or maine or nevada or dc or wherever and so you know we respond to what our uh our constituency uh, deems important, you know, through, through doing listening sessions and town halls and things like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, and there are 50 States in DC and there, a lot of them are pretty different one to the one to the next. And, and you, you, you point out something, something important too, which is, you know, some of us are sort of policy geeks, but you don't have to be, there's all kinds of other space in the movement to do things. Yeah. Uh, lots of different kinds of community action things and so on that don't have anything to do with, with, with testifying anywhere or right. anything like that. Um, 
so there's there's all kinds of there's space for for whoever anybody is if you have a desire to see to see the world get better um to see um to see the you know to see the overdose crisis uh the unnecessary overdose crisis get better yeah um there's there's space in the movement for you and then too all the tools man like when you get signed up after you do the initial orientation uh you get access to action network and that's where you could create your own well you could it, it gives you the links where you can go find out what's happening you know in your state or your area but then you can create your own uh like what you were talking about getting a bunch of people to send letters tom you know it's like mm-hmm. yeah you create a letter that you know you send out and people can just literally a few clicks and and boom they just sent a letter that's already pretty much written and they can change it if they want they can make it yep. they can adjust the narrative to what they want but it's a basically like a template letter that's just yep. pushing for and and uh, speaking on the cause at hand and boy what a simple way for somebody to get involved in a really concrete way like you said you know it doesn't take many of those letters to show up before they're noticing that they're getting a lot of letters on this topic right exactly yeah and uh and you know and the software is uh you know from the from the setting it up standpoint is pretty easy and from the signing stuff you know you put in your you put in your address and it sends and it sends the letters to the right people right um you don't even have to look up who your representative and so on is it's all built in that's why i was Um, saying there's literally is it's like three clicks yeah. boom done yep 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 you might have to type your name once and then it'll just put it in the lines <laughs> you know? yeah and it it's remembers awesome. you, you go back that you go back the next time and it's going to remember who you were you know yep. um it's just so great it's really great to the how the science behind it too and and you just have so much access to so many so much educational stuff with their their software and all the tools that they give you access to it. I mean, you could really geek out on that shit and learn so mm-hmm. much and you could become one of those capital rats, you know, that knows yeah. all about the policy. Well, that's what Randy calls it when he, him yeah. and a couple of the people here in Minnesota capital rats. I love that. I like that. Yeah. That's it's great. Good shit. That's good. We should start a band. Hell yeah. <laughs> I can't be in it. I don't have any musical talent. Oh no, me neither. <laughs> I play this. I play the. I play the stereo. That's my. Uh, that's my musical instrument. Rock on, man! You can't. You can't mess up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Press exactly. Play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Press play. That's it. Right. So you you were mentioning that you work in the field. Did you always work in the in the wellness type space or what? It, no, I was I was working in in and near Silicon Valley doing high tech stuff when I when I started my recovery journey. Okay. Um, and then through uh, a sort of combination of things, uh, in two thousand two, started working in community mental health. Uh, my my worst hit bottom crisis was actually after six years of recovery where i was jobless and homeless and uh and not doing well emotionally and so on uh 
And I was seeing a therapist and at a community, uh, community mental health clinic. And he said, uh, after I've been seeing him for a while, he said, Oh, a friend of mine who works at the same agency, uh, is hiring residential house managers for sober living, uh, for men with both serious mental illness and substance use challenges who were also homeless. Uh, it was a HUD, HUD grant based operation. Uh, and so I got an interview and on Thursday I had the interview and I was staying in a shelter, no job, no money, no nothing. And on Saturday I had a roof, 12 hours a week of pay, uh, free cable, free internet. That was the important part. Um, and, uh, and it kind of grew from there. I went from part-time to full-time and got a number of, a number of promotions along the way. Um, got certified as a, as a peer specialist, um, a number of years ago, uh, Virginia was very late to the game, uh, certifying peer providers, probably 20 years behind some other states. Our reimbursement rates are still 20 years behind every place else. And we're down to the wire on getting those increased um, if the yo-yos in Richmond can agree on a budget, uh, which they haven't done so far. Um, and we've been sending out stuff about that too, trying to trying to get peer reimbursement rates for Medicaid yeah. up to something that allows people to hire peers and pay them a living wage, right. Uh, which, which right now they can't. Um, and were you surprised when you were g- given that opportunity uh considering that your current circumstances were less than uh you know <laughs> well well except you know i was i was hired as i mean what what now would be called a recovery coach um and as a house manager and and i was working with all men uh who had mental health challenges who had substance use challenges and who had been homeless so you know that's how i got hired Boom. Uh, you yeah. were living, you were literally living it. Like, yeah, um, I was, I literally yeah. was. Um, <clears throat> and, and then, you know, and then I worked hard and I worked harder and I worked harder. Uh, the two, uh, the two people that hired me 20, maybe 20 years in October uh, are still friends. One of them, I go to concerts with all the time. We had, we had dinner yesterday. Nice. Uh, the other one, I haven't seen much because of COVID. They're staying pretty much on lockdown a lot. Yeah. for some health reasons but you know when you you have to have done a pretty decent job when the two people that hire you are still friends 20 years later so oh, um, yeah. oh yeah and it seems like it really always when i see that happen and somebody gets given an opportunity like that in a, in a time when they're kind of struggling it's like it can make all the difference to feel valued and respected and and it like can you know, give you purpose and, and a folk, something to focus your energy into. And it can really be a life-changing experience in that regard. And then also give you the confidence to give it away to realize that, that, that hard earned experience, uh, has value to it. Um, you know, it's so easy. It's so easy. And I still do this, you know, to go, well, I've only made it this far, you know, well, considering where I started, it's been a pretty long journey. Yeah. Um, and sure, there's, you know, and I'm getting old enough now where, you know, I'm starting to realize that there, there are things I'm not going to finish in this lifetime. Uh, but that's okay, because I've done a bunch of other stuff I never thought I'd do. 
And, and I have to, you know, I still have to sit back every now and then and balance them and go, well, you did all this stuff you weren't expecting. Uh, and you didn't do some of the stuff you were expecting, <laughs> but on balance, it's, it's okay. It's just fine. Yeah. Um, you know, totally. it's yeah. awesome. It's awesome because, you know, your story ain't over yet. Even if it feels like it's so permanent, I think when times get tough, it's just, it can feel so final, you know, like this is it. And it ain't never going to get better. Well, no, well, there's hope, I, <laughs> you know, we've, you know, we've, and I think, I think because, because the some degree we're still stuck in it. Um, you know, it was two years ago, March 13th, that the hospital I work at shut down to outside visitors, isolating all the clients on their individual wards. They haven't seen friends on different, on different wards for two years and a month. Um, still. Yeah, still. Wow. Um, they kind of yeah. broke those, uh, a lot of those restrictions down. So it was somewhat recently here in our state, but yeah, I know it's different everywhere. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and this is, I mean, and this is just inside the, the particular hospital itself, uh, in terms of, in terms of people seeing each other and so on. Uh, but you know, we've gotten through two years of trauma and, uh, and you know, the fact that we're, the fact that we're still able to smile sometimes, uh, <laughs> I think is, I think is a goddamn miracle sometimes, um, yeah. uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, if nothing else, one of the things that I probably, I probably saw it the first time I walked into a recovery meeting and saw people smiling and laughing is we certainly have an ability to laugh and smile at ourselves, uh, <laughs> and the war and the world. And, and that humor is certainly what's gotten me through the last two years. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I was lucky. I was not, you know, because I work with, I work with people. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't stuck at home for two years, uh, you know, working on zoom, uh, yeah. 40 hours a week. I think I, I think I probably would have lost it if I had, I just need to be around people too much. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so I've gotten a lot closer to some of my coworkers, I think, than I otherwise would have because, you know, they've been a, they've been a pretty significant part of my, of my social network, uh, yeah. over the last two years. Um, and and i'm and i'm glad i've had that um yeah. even if i have to wear a mask eight hours a day <laughs> <laughs> man yeah it's I, definitely blessings there's blessings in there i'll tell you air has never smelled as sweet as it does when you walk out of a building having worn a mask all day long and you take it off and you take a deep breath air has never smelled so good <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> See, I work outside, so I didn't have to deal with too much of that this last two years. They tried to make us wear masks uh, or some sort of face covering for, I think that maybe lasted like three months, four months, maybe at the beginning. Outside? Yeah. What? And dude, we flag traffic. So it's like, you're there by yourself. Nobody's around you. <laughs> I mean, I think most of the people at work were like, you know, unless we seen another company vehicle around the work area, you know, other than us, like then maybe they would throw it up just to be safe because, you know, it's we get inspections and stuff on our job. Right. Site. But other than that, it's like, hell no, you know, 
Oh, it's so funny. And then we're in construction too. So a lot of people are all like anti-vax and they're super like, Oh yeah, I'm sure. Just this is a big conspiracy and all that shit too. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm over here just like, whatever, man, you know, (laughs) you know, it's, it's funny. My, my, uh, my, uh, my godson was telling a story, uh, last weekend, uh, at a get together. Uh, he's, he's a house manager in sober living right now. Uh, in North Carolina and said that I think uh, something like one out of the 12 guys in the house have gotten vaccinated and a number of them say, Oh, I don't, I don't want to put this in my body. I don't know what's in it. And he (laughs) looks at them and he looks at them and said, you shot meth for two years and you're worried about putting something in your body. (laughs) Give me a break. Oh man, if I if I had a penny for every time I heard that joke or said that joke since this shit started, dude, I'd be a rich man, I guarantee you. Cause that's a big one in the in the you know community of substance abuse or use, you know, people with substance use disorder. It's like, man, dude, everybody's like on one about it. And then it's like, dude, you know, anhydrous ammonia, lithium dude come on bro you know right dude, that shit is right. not meant to go inside a human body but right exactly and i'd smell uh, all day long um <laughs> well the other i just thought about this the other day but you know the people who go oh you know there's a 5g chip in it um i thought great there's a 5g chip in it think how much money i'll save on my cell bill uh that's funny i i like because i had to uh for well i made the choice to get vaccinated pretty early on and for a multitude of reasons almost none of which had anything to do with myself uh had to do with people i cared about had to do with things that i wanted to be able to participate in in person and the only way i could do that was if people felt safe having me there and i Mm -hmm. wanted to be there because these are things that are you know, important for my recovery, but I'd always joke around at work because as I just mentioned, you know, a lot of my coworkers are in that whole, like, you know, extreme point of view about the whole thing. And I would just joke around and be like, Oh yeah, I just got my second shot, extra microchips. (laughs) I told them to throw extra in there and they just like roll their eyes at me. Like I'm broadcasting in stereo. Now I've got two of them. That's hilarious, dude. I love it. I got uh, my third one, so it's all good. <laughs> I got my, I got my fourth. I got my fourth one a week ago. Um, because I met I met criteria for it and I thought, you know, I can't quite tell whether there's a there's a bump coming or not. Yeah. Uh it's kind of hard to tell right where I am. Um, you know, here I am in DC and there was an event in DC a week ago and 4 days later 10% of the people who were there tested positive. So Wow. You know, it's uh, it's still you know no pun intended. It's still in the air. Amen. Uh, and, and you know, I I do like that factor of it too, where it's like if I do catch this shit, I still haven't got it. Never once. Yeah, but I haven't if, either. That's but if I do, I mean, I'm I like the thought that it's not going to really kick my ass too hard. You know, I'm protected for you know from it getting too out of hand because i've heard some horror stories man about how that shit get on top of you it's like nasty absolutely and uh and you know and 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 you know i have done you know 20 
20, 20 and a half years of really intense substance use did a number on a few organs in my body mm. where, you know, to put me in a couple of high risk categories. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, I want to, I want to take care of those, you know, uh, I, I had to do it for work anyway, but, but, you know, but I would have, um, and even, you know, even being careful in public and stuff, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the person that, that goes into work and has to tell everybody, uh, you know, that I was coming into work contagious. Um, right. Because uh, when you work in a hospital, it's it's a great way to look pretty, you know, not very uh, considerate of people. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like even even with all all the effort I put into, you know, trying to put other people at ease and do my part it, it, to be a good steward of the people around me. Like, you know, my dad, for instance, him and his wife, they're still uh, hunkered down. They don't he's newly retired. I think he actually took earlier retirement than he originally planned because of this. And then his wife is a kind of a shut in with medical problems, but yeah, they won't even accept visitors still, you know, and I've yeah. told, and I've told him all the lengths I've gone to and the things I've done. And, and he's still like, you know, so we talk once in a while. It's like, I miss you. I love you. But mm-hmm. yeah, they just don't feel comfortable right now having people there. And I have, is, you know, I'm not saying that that doesn't, you know, hurt or, or, you know, bother me at times, you know, but I have to remember, and I quickly remind myself that it's, it's not my job to like, like it. I just, but I need to accept, you know, where they're at and, right. and you know, respect it because that's their choice, yep. you know? Yeah. To respect their decision. End of the day. You know, know. they get, they get to decide for themselves. We get to decide for ourselves what risk, what risk we're going to take. One of the people I was talking about earlier, uh, you know, has had, both of them have had some, you know, numerous health things over the last few years uh, and just decided they didn't want to risk it. And uh, so we saw each other outside when the weather was warm. Uh, and then there was that wonderful period, uh, sort of late spring, early summer last year, everybody had had their second shot, uh, and the numbers were way down and we actually spent some time indoors together, uh, a few times, which was really, I mean, (laughs) just to be able to sit in the living room with some friends I hadn't, you know, sat inside with for a year and a half was, or a year and a quarter was really was very made me feel very warm and fuzzy you know it was just uh there's this little little bit of normality uh, uh <laughs> i'll take it when i can get it right i'll take you exactly yeah all the, you know exactly uh you know reality was never was never one of my favorite indoor sports back in the day uh you know so uh uh these days uh you know, there's that, uh, you know, that will say, you know, reality is just a crutch for people who can't handle drugs. So <laughs> I love that. So before I have a, a little list of some closing questions, but before we do that, is there anything else that you're involved with or uh, resources that you'd like to share that uh, you want to expand on a little bit and explain or well, I'll have a lot more on Wednesday after after two and a half days at this conference I'm at. Uh, I'm getting refreshed and renewed on stuff. Uh, and then there's another conference in Richmond that's put on by uh, 
an academic recovery team uh, that they're back for the first time in two years too. I feel as though, you know, these, 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 everybody gets together and talks about stuff. Things uh, either didn't happen at all for at least a year um, or they happen virtually. And so I feel as though, in some ways, as far as, you know, sort of advances in recovery and so on, I'm kind of behind the eight ball or not behind, behind the curve, not behind the eight ball. Gotcha. Um, so on Wednesday, I'll know it. I'll know a lot more stuff. You can, you can, you can keep an eye on my Facebook page. I'll be posting lots of stuff. And as you guys know, we will have contact information in the show notes for Tom. If uh, something resonated with you and you'd like to reach out to him personally, he'll leave some sort of way to contact him and and any of these resources, these things that he works with, like Recovery Advocacy Project or uh, where he works, the facility he works at and stuff in Richmond, Virginia. We're going to have all that stuff in the show notes for you guys. Easy access so you can check it out uh, and learn more. Uh, That being said, closing questions. This is a fun part. Always a fun part, buddy. So first question, we think the daily, any kind of like daily or regular routine is super important for having a meaningful and sustainable recovery. So what does something in your daily or regular routine like for your recovery consist of? I totally butchered that question. Oh, that's fine. I I think I got the, I think I got the gist. You get it? it? Okay. Wow. I got the gist of it. Um, I try and spend some time during the day by myself without any distractions to just kind of check in and see where things are. Um, you know, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I still, I still deal with attention issues. Um, the hyperactivity part I aged out of a long time ago. I'm just too tired to get hyper. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I try and just spend a few minutes with myself every day. I don't even necessarily call it mindfulness. It's not, it's not even that formal a practice. It's just like, okay, what's going on? You know, what's positive? What's not? What do I need to work on? What do I need to pat myself on the back for? Uh, and what do I want to do tomorrow? Um, so I, I try and spend some introspective time every day. That's that's really my quiet time. I guess is the is the big thing because I I don't do quiet very well. Uh, you know, there's almost always either I've got music going or you know listening to a podcast or you know. Uh, some sort of distraction. So for me to just kind of take a few minutes and, and chill is really, is really, that's something I really do every day to center myself. Awesome. And then the next question is what would be a book or a piece of literature that has had the biggest impact on your recovery? Ooh, well, I can talk about recent ones. Um, I'm reading two books now. Um, one is called The Urge, which is a history of addiction through the centuries, um, written by a doctor who himself is in recovery. Um, and then the second one actually was brought up in a, in a presentation I was at at the conference this afternoon, a book called Healing, uh, written by Tom Insel, who's the former director of the National Institute of Mental Health who after 15 years of funding and cheerleading for a lot of brain science research 
took a step back and went, yeah, that's important, but it's not necessarily making people well. Mm-hmm. And a peer provider in a place, I think it was in New York, said, you know, people need people need the three P's. And he was thinking, what, Prozac, something and something is what his, where his mind went. Right. And uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, people, place and purpose. Uh, that we need people in our lives, we need a, a safe place to live, and we need purpose, whether that's a job or, you know, an avocation, volunteer work, whatever. We need those three things yeah. uh, to to be recovering human beings. And so those are my two, those are on my shelf right now. Okay. Yeah, and I get it because, like, I to your point, I've read so much that has been helpful that it would be hard as hell to just like pick one thing, you know, it's like, yeah, but you know, what's fresh in my mind, like, and, and I'm like, if I'm sitting there, you know, and it's on my nightstand and I'm getting something out of it and I'm currently experiencing that I'm getting something out of that. So I'll probably tell you what's on my nightstand yeah. too. I think Brene Brown and her podcast, she says, uh, what's on go. your nightstand right now? Yeah. That's like, well, and there's a, <laughs> sorry, and there, there's a third book too. And I, she's speaking here is, uh, Maya Salovitz is undoing drugs, which is all about harm reduction. Undoing, uh, undoing drugs, uh, undoing drugs. Yeah, is what it's called. Uh, and I started. I forgot I had the Kindle version of it. I started reading it um, a few days ago, uh, and realized I'm going to use the introduction of it from the peer class I'm teaching to give them some ideas of what the principles of harm reduction are. Mm-hmm. But she's uh, speaking and doing a book signing here, so I'll go buy the cop. I'll go buy a copy of the book and get it signed. That's the third one. Awesome. Well, I don't know. That's a lot of good suggestions. Uh, Next question. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Well, let's see. Best piece of advice I've ever received. Well, one of them, of course, is that don't take yourself so damn seriously. Um. What, what rule number was that? I can't remember. 62. Uh, 62. Yeah. There's even a, there's even a rule 62 meeting in Charlottesville. Yeah. We um, did. A, we did an episode of the way out podcast a long time ago. One of our topic episodes, we haven't done a topic episode for you guys in a long time, but yeah, one of those uh, was all about rule 62. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good one for today. Just don't take yourself so damn seriously. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I know. And it's easier said than done too, but I've, sometimes I'm like, dude, what the hell is wrong with me? I'll, you know, I'll get up in my feelings and I'll be like, man, seriously, you need to chill the fuck out. Stop taking yourself so seriously right now, yeah. Jason. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Just chill. <laughs> I have a hard time chilling sometimes. Uh, what next question? What do you think would be the greatest challenge that you have had in your recovery? greatest challenge I've had in my recovery. Um, I guess I'd really have to say trying to, or not trying to, because I, I did, but um, staying sober through some pretty serious mental health challenges um, where that would have been the quick fix. Yeah. Uh, and instead um, doing, doing the hard stuff um, where in the short run, some of the things that got tried in some cases made it worse. Uh, but still, but still sticking, sticking through it, going, 
this will eventually pass. It didn't necessarily seem like it on any given day. Mm. Um, but you know, overall it did. Um, I think that's it. I had the loss of a relationship that was sort of the beginning of, of my first mental health crisis a long time ago, still struggle with that. Um, Mm. and, uh, therapy has helped, but it hasn't fixed it. (laughs) I understand, man. Some of the things that we've experienced are just going to come back up once in a while, you know, and now we have tools that we've learned. I might have to <laughs> I might have to save save that one for my next lifetime. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I hear you, dude. It's it's never completely a done deal. Like we can deal with it and we can think we moved on from it, but some at some point something's gonna trigger uh tr- like a trauma response to that thing, and then we're gonna be like, Oh, I thought that I dealt with that. Well, now I'm gonna have to deal with it again. And yep. that's life. Yep. That is life. Yeah, it's interesting. And a, uh, an old friend of mine had one of those wise old therapists a long time ago who gave her a picture that I used and retold ever since, you know, you go to therapy, you do some work on something and it's like you put it in a shoe box and you put it up on the back of the closet and then something comes along and you got to take it down. You got to open up the box. You kind of got to shuffle through it again and then you put it back up on the shelf in the closet. And then sooner or later, something comes along (laughs) and that's kind of what life is, you know, um, uh, there's still, there's still those, you know, dusty boxes up on the, up on the shelves in the closet. And every now and then one falls out and hits me on the head. I just had this visual of, you remember that movie, uncle Buck, when he opens his closet, (laughs) everything crashes down. So it's like, we can keep putting stuff. To me, that's like how my brain would be. Like I'm, I keep putting things in the in the closet, yeah. but eventually it gets too full, and then it all comes crashing down. Because I swear to God, when I have a hard day, it's like it'll be, it'll seem like everything's happening all at once. You know, like yep. like I'm getting hit from every angle, and I'm like, where the heck is this coming from? You know, I feel like I'm under attack or something. But uh, guess what, guys? I can get through it. I can get through it. Yeah. Clean. And uh, like to your point, I can I can persevere through that and try the different things I need to try and not use <laughs> over it. Yeah. I don't I don't have to numb it anymore. Yeah, and that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we took it down to the greatest challenge. Now let's go back up. Let's let's talk about what is the greatest success you've had in your recovery? Greatest success I've had. Um, one of the greatest events was going to mobilize last year and having done, you know, having done the, the, the work to, you know, to be invited or, you know, um, that's some of it. Uh, being able to teach, you know, having gotten certified to teach peers, um, is, is a big thing for me to, to pass this on to, you know, not quite, but almost the next generation of, of, of peer specialists, um, is, is really important to me. Uh, and, and knowing enough stuff to, 
go, you know, way beyond a fairly dry and fairly narrow manual for the course and, and teach people about, you know, all the different aspects of recovery that I've encountered. Um, and some of which I don't do anymore, but it's still something that, you know, is helpful for people to, to learn about. Um, so I think that teaching people, teaching the next generation, passing this on. Hell yeah. Can't keep what we have without giving it away. Right. Yeah, exactly. No. And it's funny because it's like, it's just a, it's like, what do you call it? Like a spiritual axiom. So it's like a thing that is just an absolute across board. It doesn't matter if people are, you know, if they're peers because they just want to help people, maybe they're not, they don't have lived experience with substance use disorder, but it doesn't matter because you're still teaching them valuable tools and, and you're educating them about multiple pathways and you're educating them about ways that they can be of service, maximize their effectiveness being of service. Right? Yeah. It's awesome. Well, and we, uh, and we also, as part of the peer training, uh, train people who are uh, friends and family supporters of people uh, with mental health and substance use challenges. Uh, and they're trained in the same, they're trained in the same classes. Um, so they're not, they're not allies. They're, you know, they're working partners of, of people who, who, who have struggles. It's awesome. Um, I love it because it's, it's all welcoming. It's all inclusive. And yeah, I always say it and I'll say it a hundred more times. It's like one of the most amazing experiences in my life was doing recovery coach Academy, getting certified as a peer recovery specialist. I never even worked in the field, dude. I mean, I've used that knowledge and those, that skill set. Yeah. I use it all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that's beautiful, you know, and that's why I did it. But I also did it for my own recovery, you know, selfishly because I wanted to increase my effectiveness in helping another individual, but I also wanted to like arm myself with more knowledge, you know, and maybe come to a deeper understanding of myself. You know, you talk about a lot of taboo topics in that class. Yeah. You know, where people have very emotional and adverse reactions to the stuff that's said, or, you know, just those conversation, maybe something that an individual says in the conversation, you know, cause we're all different people different backgrounds and it brings up a lot of things to the surface and there's and then navigating those waters and coming to a place of mutual understanding and acceptance is it was like an emotionally draining week but a super amazing like i had a lot of like spiritual experiences in that oh absolutely i feel super connected to this day with everybody that was in the class with me and all like Mm -hmm. you established lifelong connections in a short period of time it was yeah I love peer training. I want, I would love, I'm jealous of anybody who has, like you said, you know, taken it to that extra uh, level and become like a peer trainer, you know, like being able to facilitate those classes would be so epic Mm -hmm. and to be able to keep living that experience, you know, would be never too late. No, I know I could learn it. I could do it, (laughs) but uh, I just thought, I appreciate what you do, man. And I thank you for your service to the community. All right. Now we're going to take it back. We're going to, we're going to get deep again, and then we'll finish it off with a fun one. Okay. What is, what is something that you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? Ooh. Well, when I sent you the email, I was talking about 
uh, a relationship that ended very suddenly uh, a long time ago. Uh, and I don't think I'm still not over that. Um, you know, uh, I'm still every now and then I still get stuck on it. Um, so I think, I think that's probably still on the list. Yeah. Like, but just to be clear, like, like it's something that you have, have a resentment towards the other person about, or is it something that you can't forgive yourself about? <laughs> something I haven't forgiven the other person about. Gotcha. Right on. Cause yeah, not everybody wrote the email, <laughs> but no, I get it. It's a, it's a whole thing. And it's like, and I, I like that. I love that question though, because it's like, you know, no matter how much time you got or how much good you do in the world or how great your life might appear from the outside looking in, it's like, I think that it's an instructive question because it shows that we all have, you know, things that we're still wrestling with that we have to rumble with, you know, and it's, and that's going to always be because life gets lifey. Right. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. That life thing. Yeah. I know. Damn life. There's that thing called life. You know, I love it <laughs> and I hate it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yep. And it's not a game. It's not a game that comes in a box. It's a real thing. Yeah. No shit. I never really, really liked that game. I don't know. It wasn't that fun. I never liked it. Too. All right. Last one. Funnest one. Yeah. Best one. What is a song that symbolizes recovery to you? Well, you know, it took me a long time to, to think about that when you, when you asked me. Uh, the, the song that I remember from my early recovery was a song called The One by Elton John. And he had been sober for... I don't think much more than a year or two when that got written. Of course he didn't write the words, but, uh, but you know, Bernie did, but, uh, but still, um, and it certainly had a recovery resonance to me at the time. Uh, you know, there was some stuff about, you know, about renewal and things like that, that, uh, that really, that really hit, uh, that, that really hit home. Um, there's a ton of Grateful Dead songs too, uh, but trying to pick one out is always the is always the challenge. Uh, <laughs> yes. Whenever whenever I try and do that, but uh, you know I what's think, cool? Oh, is that I'll... one? No, that one? No, that one? No. Uh... <laughs> Typically, it, some people just cannot resist, and they'll give me like two or three. I mean, I might only list one in the show notes, but if you guys listen to the show, and if you uh. If you have a Spotify account, you can find our curated playlist from all the guests on uh, Spotify. It's called the way. Oh, out really? Yeah, it's called the way out playlist. But oh, I cool. always like people that do the multiple thing. I'll always put those songs in there. So anything you've heard on the show is in there. But you just may not find actually all of those songs written in in the show notes because you know, I just list one. Same with like these books. I'll, I'll usually pick one because I. Okay. Yeah, because the show notes are pretty long. <laughs> People got to read through all that information. It's probably kind of a lot of links and shit for people. So I don't want to like confuse them too bad. But yeah, so you said one, the or the one by Elton John. The one was your yeah. song. I'm looking forward to jamming out to that. Uh, as I write up the show notes for this show, because that's kind of my little ritual, you know, it's fun. Oh, to, okay, cool. 
cool. It's it's fun, dude. like especially if I haven't heard it before, because then I'll be like, I'll just getting into it and loving it, and be like, yeah, that's ah. a great song. Like I get turned on to some good music. I've I consider myself kind of a music buff, but I've heard a lot of shit that I never heard before uh, from people. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So anyway, I I just appreciate your time, Tom. Thanks for being with us today and. You know, it's been great talking to you and just learning about, you know, advocacy and God, we talked about a lot of different shit in this episode. We sure did. Thank you, Jason. Thanks so much for the invite. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Thank you for your service and all you guys out there listening. I just hope that you take care of yourselves and you take care of each other as you go through the week ahead and we will see you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Tune in, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.